Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking to the, at the uh, fourth episode of Star Cops, Trivial Games and Paranoid Pursuits. A salvage ship scores big. They find a cargo module drifting on a course into the sun. They retrieve it, hoping to return it for a reward from the owner, or salvage of the scrap. They're also not above fudging the logs a bit to make it appear to have been a hazard to navigation, allowing them to collect a reward for clearing the hazard. On Earth, Dilly Goodman contacts the Ronald Reagan Space Station, trying to reach her brother Harvey. But they have no record that he ever existed, and even Module Z-13 that he was assigned to never existed. On the moon, Kenzie is not happy about the job duties she's been assigned now that she's back in the Star Cops. Spring clearly doesn't trust her or warned her on the force and is trying to make it miserable enough for her to resign. But she won't. Spring is on his way to the Ronald Reagan to try to convince the Americans to allow him to replace Hubble, the American Star Cop that was caught on the fiddle in the previous episode. Second-in-command, David, must meet with the next moon base coordinator, a Russian, who is replacing the previous coordinator that left after being rumbled for a crime by Spring and the Star Cops two episodes ago. On the Ronald Reagan, Spring meets with American Commander Griffith. Griffith is a royal grade A1 asshole, as well as a comically stereotypical American. He's not happy that Hubble was forced to resign. He doesn't want internationals on his space station. He doesn't trust Europeans, and he thinks Spring has played into the Russians' hands by having the moon base coordinator replaced. He's not going to cooperate, the State Department isn't going to cooperate, and he's going to make Spring stay as miserable as possible. Dilly Goodman calls Starcop HQ on the moon and talks to Kenzie. She explains that her brother has not only gone missing, but that everyone tells her that he never even existed. All this under the watchful eye of the new moon base coordinator. Kenzie leaves for the Ronald Reagan to investigate. She's met by a distinctly cold shoulder by spring because not only is she not doing her assigned job, she still hasn't resigned. But she also didn't do a very good job of preparing for the case before leaving. She and the others back on the moon think there's something fishy going on. Someone is manipulating things, possibly the Russians. There is literally no computer records of Harvey Goodman existing anywhere, ever. Realizing this is a massive attempt at a, to erase the man, Spring decides they need to look into this further. He lets Kenzie stay when it turns out there's one person happy to see her on the Ronald Reagan, the American commander, who'd like to show her fun ways to use his pool table. Spring lets Kenzie endure a decade's worth of Me Too experiences while he breaks into the commander's office to study his computer files. On Earth, David has gone to interview the sister. Her house is vacant, and he is knocked out from behind by someone working for Griffin. On the moon, the salvage operators file their claim and move the capsule, designated Z-13, into a moon base hangar to open and salvage. When Griffin discovers Spring was in his office, he realizes the game is up. He offers Spring a deal. You forget Goodman, and I'll allow Star Cops on this base. Kenzie saves the day by recording the at attempt at quid pro quo and forces Griffin to tell them what's happening. It goes something like this. 
Goodman was working in an unauthorized capacity on microbiology, something that is forbidden on the Ronald Reagan as too dangerous. Goodman discovered or engineered a space bug that could survive the vacuum of space, but accidentally released it and got himself killed. The Americans sealed up the capsule and dropped it towards the sun, believing that no one would ever believe it wasn't a U.S.-backed biowarfare project. They decided to cover it up, erasing Goodman from all records, because they knew he had no family. So who is this so-called sister? She has completely disappeared, but Griffin believes that she is a Russian provocateur, trying to use the star cops to embarrass the Americans. Coincidentally, Hubble knew about this cover-up and had been blackmailing Griffin to keep silent. With a Russian moon base coordinator watching, the salvage people cut their way into the capsule. Back on the moon, Spring receives a call from the sister, and it turns out she's not Russian, she's the press. He cuts a deal with her, and she uses the power of the press to strong-arm the Americans into allowing star cops on the Ronald Reagan. And although not seen in the episode, presumably when they cut into the capsule, everyone on Moonbase was instantly killed by the space bug thing. But we'll probably find out about that next week when we just watch a bunch of corpses. All right. <laughs> Trivial games and paranoid <laughs> pursuits. Ah. Uh, I, I, I didn't see the elimination of every single uh, man, woman, and child on Moonbase as, uh, you know, the final part of this episode. That came as a complete shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, everybody who's um, listening, we're kidding about that. It's just some very poor, uh, poor visual direction and storytelling on the uh, the uh, yeah, makers I, of this episode. <laughs> I mean, we might as well cut straight to it. There at the end, the two salvage people they 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 put up they put a probe into the. Uh, capsule when it was still in space. Yeah. And they couldn't see anything. And then they looked away from the thing just at the <laughs> moment that a, an eye floated past the screen, a human eye. And uh, it looked like it was actually moving, not like drifting by. But I'd have to go back and watch it again. To be fair, that was, it could have been supposedly the probe was moving. Oh, that too, sure. So I, I don't know. But, you know, they're, they're snaking it around inside and it happens to pass the guy's eye. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but so they get the thing back on the moon and they put it in a, a an atmosphere pressurized mm -hmm. hangar. Shirt sleeve environment. Shirt sleeve environment. The moon base coordinator is there. The two salvage operators are there. We have every reason to believe that maybe the moon base coordinator does, in fact, know what's going on. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly I, don't know. I really hope that we see more of this guy. Um, he, yeah, I, I, uh, Kavenko. I'm not sure if he is, uh, uh, you know, a, a Russian agent, or uh, he's just a, you know, deserve the uh, the Nobel Prize the that he received in chemistry or in, oh, uh, biology, something like that, medicine. There we go. Huh. Huh. Uh, biology. And, and he actually, uh, yeah. yeah, and he actually, uh, you know, as as Spring said, uh, asked the right questions. But yeah. I don't know. It's pretty tenuous. And, and who knows? Maybe, you know, he was checking on the work that he commissioned. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they cut it open or it looked like they were cutting it open and we yeah. never see them again. Yeah. Well, we do see uh, 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 Kravenko later on, don't we? Did we? Oh, geez. I thought that was the last scene we saw him on. I thought they cut to um, everybody in uh, the uh, Space Cup headquarters on Moonbase talking about it. Oh, you know, he was shaking his hand and stuff, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So very I, have no idea. I have no idea why they aren't all dead. Maybe it was like uh, the Plastic Mutant or Mutant 59 or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh, obscure book 14. reference. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> people Maybe would probably know it as out. the... Uh, exactly. People would probably know it as the Andromeda Strain. A little bit. Well, actually, oh, yeah, no, that that's, that's different, too. Uh, episode of Doom Watch. Uh, variant 14. The Plastic Eaters? Yeah, that Plastic one? Eaters. I, th I think well, the, I don't think that burned itself out. Yeah, I think the nah, book nah, nah. was uh, Mutant Fifty Nine or something like that. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Oh, really off topic there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast, if nothing, if not off topic, um, yeah. <laughs> you'll learn a lot more than just what you're uh, tuning in to listen to on this show. I, I um I am going to admit, although I found bits of this enjoyable, <laughs> a fair amount of it enjoyable, <laughs> mm. uh, I found bits of it 
absolutely positively clawing my eyes out. Oh yeah. Uh, and um, gee, could it be the parts with have, Griffin? <laughs> yeah, and, and I have no clue what the hell was going on. I mean, I really don't feel like at the end. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Were the Russians playing? Were the were the the press playing? Was the the I just, I really just don't know what the heck happened here, really, yeah. in the yeah, end. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's sort of a series of events that were strung together. And and maybe that's, maybe that's what you're supposed to think because of the paranoid pursuits. Maybe we're supposed to leave this episode going, I don't know who was against me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody was against me. Yeah, but I'm not sure there's any proof there was. Yeah, maybe it's foreshadowing. There's, you know, something, somebody else out there who's... Who's trying to do something, you know, uncover and corruption in Stavro space? I don't know. Blofeld. Exactly. In space. Yes. Yes. I, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be ace reporter Clark Kent for all we know. And then there is this whole uh I, I don't even I, I loathe to call it a, a subplot of Hubble. Now Hubble was the cop who appeared for all of 30 seconds, two yeah. episodes ago, when Spring dodged out and made David fire him. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't fire him. He just said, here's what we got on you. And Hubble goes, okay, I resign and left. Yeah, he just took off. For some reason, the Americans are mad about that. Yeah, maybe I'm – the only thing I can think of is that maybe the Americans think that they lost their man on the inside so they won't know what's going on in Star Cops. You know, well, that was my. And if that was the thought. case, then why wouldn't they want to have somebody put into Star Cops as soon as possible? You know, a highly trained operative, American. Yeah, why I don't understand they find an American that. cop, right? Or you know, CIA agent that likes space. Yeah, it, it didn't really make a whole <laughs> heck of a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, all right. You know, let's take a step back. The Americans in this show are so obnoxiously caricatured. Yeah, two-dimensional, uh, stereotypic, whatever word Two-dimensional is, is being charitable. Being nice to dimensions, yes. Just, I mean, we have been told that the Americans are jerks right. from the beginning yeah, of the The series. Russians are devious. The Russians are devious. The Americans are jerks. We don't know if the Russians, actually the Russians have been nicer than the Americans no. at all times so far in the show. And, you know, that's probably just Europeans sticking together. But, <laughs> it uh, could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, yes. Against the good guys. I mean, you sidle up with the bad guys. And I, I don't know. It, it, I'm sure that, that it's possible that, one, like if you went back to the 1990s, Yep. In the United States, and you watch television, that our character, our representations of Soviet citizens may not have been the most nuanced. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, countless uh, MacGyver episodes taught us that. <laughs> <laughs> I, f I feel so sorry for MacGyver when the you know when the wall fell and the Russians became not the bad guys. It's like where do you go? Oh. <laughs> South America. I guess we go to inner city use. Oh, that, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did. Oh boy, I'm on the muddy of yeah. <laughs> yes, you, you just and, can't get uh, a paperclip to do what you 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 could out in the field when you're in the city. I don't know no, why. No, no, no. <laughs> Best you can do is deflate a basketball at the gym. You know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> we can lower the air pressure a little bit. It'll be easier for you to make the shots. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, well, see, far afield. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and I'm reasonably sure that it's just possible that that some of our portrayals of the British have not been a hundred percent accurate. But I have yeah. never, I've <laughs> generally never felt that they were done with malice. Well, I don't know. It depends. I mean, with you know, if someone were to see, I don't know, an episode of Bewitched with Doctor Bombay on it, would they feel, you know, it's like, oh, that's really, a really no, bad well, representation, of British. I yeah. think I agree. It's probably a bad representation. It is a stereotype. Yeah, it's supposed to be, but yeah. But but I don't think it's meant to be that way in a mean spirited way. 
Right. Well, it all I depends on how you're interpreting it. But yes, yes. I, right. No, yeah, exactly. I feel this was mean-spirited. <laughs> yes, I agree with you there. Maybe you a doing personal on attack on, on me as an American, perhaps. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think watching that, that anybody whose entire country was represented as being such a jackass, and, and not just him, but basically everyone... Um, Fearless listeners, you have to find this episode and watch it just to see the the amazing Commander Griffith. Wow, the amazing Griffin, yeah, yeah, oh, he, yeah that's right, Griffin. The, the cigar chomping oh, in outer man. space. You know Sorry, why he wasn't wearing a cowboy chomping. hat, or was he wearing a cowboy hat? Boy, it's hard he, to remember. He wasn't a baseball cap, I think, at one point. That, that's he? right, that's right, in a a Dodgers uh, shirt, I think. No, it wasn't a MAGA hat. I guess it's a little early for that. Um, yeah, it, it's he. He was a he was a piece of work <laughs> before Kenzie got to the station. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. You know, it's like there is nothing redeeming about this man, and he was just such a caricature. You know, and and he he was playing positions like back to what we were talking about the fact that he was mad about Hubble getting. He kept saying fired, but Hubble wasn't fired. He he, he was resigned. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly Spring has got this bug that's like he thinks Hubble had something on the base commander. But I never really understood why, because it seemed considering what a caricature he was, it seemed perfectly reasonable to believe he was just mad because they got an American fired. Right. Mm -hmm. that not I don't think. Yeah, he's too mad for an American getting fired. I mean, he's been very subtle and reasonable about everything else. So, I mean, I, I, this seems out of character. Wait, no, it doesn't. But if it did seem out of character, then you might go, huh, maybe there's a reason. But, and it turns out, Spring's instincts were right. He did have something over on him. Yeah. But it really went nowhere in this story whatsoever. Yeah, you know? maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, Maybe we were to think that Spring was kind of just fishing for stuff and uh, you know, got really lucky. I don't know. Yeah. yeah he, he's uh, – well, we have seen going all the way back to instinct for murder that he is a very intuitive cop when it comes to this kind of stuff. He he just looks at the situation and he kind of goes, yeah, I think this is uh, that crime right there. And, and yeah. he seems to be on the money. So I uh, – I don't know. And speaking of American stereotypes, how about Dilly Goodman? Oh, yeah. I will never say anything terrible about Purple Gilliam Brown on Doctor Who ever again. <laughs> uh, never, never again. I thought, you know, that they couldn't make Perry a worse, <laughs> shrill, nasty American. Yeah. But they did it with Dilly. And it, it, no one this? in this country is named Dilly, just right off the bat. No, except for an ice cream bar. Yeah. That's called Dilly. That's a, yep. a Dilly bar, in yep. fact. But, that's it. Yep. And, yeah, nobody else. I, I think this was a time when, uh, like, Dallas and stuff like that was really big in the U.K., right? So I guess everybody kind of had a, a southern Texan accent. Maybe. So <laughs> that, that's my only rationale why she sounded like she did. <laughs> uh, perhaps she was somebody who just got all their uh, uh, voice acting lessons for accents off from watching Dallas could, or something. It could be. Yeah. But it, it's that whole, I know my rights and I'm going to do anything. Oh, yeah. Like, wow, boy, that, Loud that American. also is a very stereotype. I, I, yep. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people go, oh, you Americans and you're – I know my constitutional rights. It's like, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of um, uh, it, it's either it's either mean spirited or the writer's an idiot. I, I one of the two. We or we can take it either way, but or I'm guessing he's an idiot, <laughs> or he's inept. You know, he just could be stupid. There might, might might not be any malice behind it. He just doesn't know. I mean, he's probably sitting there sipping his tea and having some scones at his <clears> desk. <throat> and, oh, sorry, stereotype oh, sorry, alert. stereotype. Oh, oh, oh yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> Looking through the fog that's formed in his living room there in London. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that may uh -huh. have been mean-spirited. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, 
So yeah, that was um, that was good. Uh, Spring uh, proves once again that he is still uh, uh, an unpleasant human being. <laughs> yes, yeah. Once again, his uh, interpersonal skills are just uh, uh, you know amazing. <laughs> yeah. Top notch. Top oh, yeah. notch. I, I I do sort of appreciate the fact that he is trying to make Kenzie miserable. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 nice. And yes, it's pretty obvious that he's trying to get her to leave, which quite yeah. a, quite got the message because she's, you know, a very stubborn person. Maybe that's the well, Australian stereotype. You, know. <laughs> you think? So this is actually just a study in Tegan stereotypes. Jepinka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Hmm. I was dubious. I kind of knowing that she is a character that continues on. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that she's a cop on the fiddle and the fact that she pulled a fast one to get the job back or to hang on to the job, mm-hmm. well, I she, would have been she... very disappointed if it was all forgiven and gosh, it's, you know, don't do it again, Kenzie. And we're all pals now. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not going to work that way. You don't, you don't escape that kind of thing at work. No. Because there's no reason to believe that that made her honest. Oh heck no! Right? You know that that's that only happens in fairy tale stories and and, right. and movies with redemption and stuff. But you don't you don't get that in, in the real world. So the fact that they're just making her do the crappiest work they can mm-hmm. in the hopes that she'll quit makes perfect sense to me. Yep. And I don't know. You know, will she? Re- did she redeem herself this time? Well, I, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, about the only progress the space cops made is that they got people on board the station, I think. Or not, uh, they got uh, American, uh, yeah, they got their their people on board the, the, the Ronald Reagan, or the Ronnie, as I'd like to call it. Uh, <laughs> the old Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie Reagan in space, yeah. Yep. <laughs> They should call it the Ronald Reagan <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> space station. I, I would hope that that was uh, laughed about quite a bit in the writing sessions. <clears throat> I guess Ronald Reagan kind of makes sense considering he was all into Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, big feature in the 80s. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Did, did, did this, I, I mean, what is the outcome of this case? Well, yeah, I know. What is the final disposition of this? I really don't know what happened. I mean, I know I, I know the events that happened, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to cover it up. We failed to cover it up. It seems like the Russians and the moon know about the biohazard thing. The press know about it. The press took pictures and had a whole gallery of people there with the, the, the American commander who they thought they were going to get away with this somehow. Yeah. After it had all come out, and then like, well, now that it hasn't, you haven't gotten away with it, and that the press is here reporting on it, you're going to back the star cops, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't, I really don't know, and I wonder if we'll ever see Griffin again, because uh, you know, I hope not. He was so much fun. Maybe and he has a by cool the pool table. He has a cool pool table. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. The pool table was pretty cool. And it was – I did note that uh, Box said it uses an analog computer to compensate f- for the station to manipulate the uh, mag- or electromagnetic field so that the balls roll straight or roll correctly. So analog well, wouldn't they have to hmm. – wouldn't they have to compensate for the the spin of the artificial yeah. gravity too? Yeah. Coriolis effect, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Well, okay, wait, wait, so... Or you'd have to learn how to... The pool table is facing down, Uh right? So down is down. So would the Coriolis effect... Wouldn't have impart any left or right spin? If you were uh, shooting the ball perpendicular to the... the, uh, Ah, yes, of course, you're right. Parallel to the axis of rotation, yeah, it would. Or in any direction except straight along the axis. That's right. right. Okay. Along it, it well, and, and even would... then, it's either going to go faster or slower. And it's going to curve. Yes, yeah, so it'll curve. Yeah, exactly. So if the table was set up in such a way that it can manipulate the uh, the, the billiard balls to compensate for that, yeah, I suppose it'd work. Sure, why not? Say the eighties, we could do all sorts of stuff like that. Twenty twenty seven, actually. Yeah, there yeah. you go. 
I think it's 2027. There's mm-hmm. like a display screen that showed Goodman dead in 2027 or something like that. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, I forgot where I I read that. I didn't see it. There was something mm-hmm. about looking at information that they had there. But uh, anyway, yeah, it, it just that was kind of interesting. It gave uh, Spring a chance to show that he is sneaky <laughs> and willing to cheat to get it, what he wants. It knows the or actually. Of- Beating a man at his own game. <laughs> did he did he cheat to get his own way, or did he cheat just simply to swat the obnoxious American? Uh, probably both. I, I think he probably wanted to say, "Well, you're not actually the big man you think you are. You know, I'm the law here." That sort of thing. And uh, yeah, figured that was a good way of doing it because you know, us Americans, we like our entertainment. Mm, <laughs> we gotta have our pool. That's right. Um, I um, I'm going to avoid it for the moment. Um, the salvage operators. Yeah. Um, so you're just flying around in a space shuttle looking for stuff, I guess. Sure. Uh, they kind of felt like rag and bone men, which is not an American term, but no, um, no. Um, these, these are the equivalent people who uh, drive around in the back alleys of cities uh, looking for stuff that people have thrown out. You know, busted TVs. I think exactly. Yeah, is who we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Sanford and, and Son, um, in in the in the states. Yes, the, yep. that kind of person. And so they do have a typically lower class speech pattern. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, they're still flying um, an orbiter. <laughs> yeah, they're still flying an orbiter. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and yet at the same time, they seem definitely like there's. You know, bumper stickers on that orbiter. And, right. Uh, you know. and, and there isn't one safety inspection that they've actually made on time or ever That's actually right. did, did. Yeah. Right. And the the wife wants to forge where they found this module. Yeah. So that they can pretend that it was a hazard to navigation. Right. I find it hard to believe with with the current state of our technology tracking tens of thousands of little bits of space debris (laughs) in orbit around the earth that, you know, by the far flung year, 2027, you could get away with faking your flight path. Yeah, that might be kind of difficult. And I'm going to guess that the accident that caused the lab to be sealed up and launched towards the sun because it was in a solar orbit didn't happen all that long ago uh, because if it was, it would have, you know, it probably would have been years, uh, you know, after the accident before the, uh, the, the OMZ-13 actually came back around the Earth. Uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, I don't uh, know exactly how you fling something towards this. Obviously, the Americans intentionally sent it on a path to go into the sun. So, yeah. Oh, it's not that hard. We've done it with all sorts of stuff. I would have assumed that they would make it a relatively uh, expedient path if they possibly could. Yeah, it all depends on how much fuel you want to expend on the uh, endeavor. Mm, considering the effort they went to to erasing Mr. Goodman and all that information, I, I would say they were probably more than willing to invest. In I don't know. They didn't but... invest very well on their hacker. <laughs> Getting rid of everybody in the entire... Name uh, Goodman. Yeah, good minute from all the school records. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is definitely the example of a of a, a person ignorant of computer techniques trying <laughs> to uh come up with an excuse. Yeah. Uh, on there. Yeah. Um you know, I couldn't here's one that you could do that would be much more convincing. Okay? I I couldn't find any Harry Goodman, but there for you know, eight years, I did find a gap in the sequential numbering of the unique identifiers. Right. The student ID records. Yeah, exactly. That would be much better. There's like, there's like a missing student (laughs) at the school, Uh, you know, just for that period of time when he's supposed to be at university. Mm -hmm. So things like that. But yeah, it's like just, there are just no Goodmans. I mean, the man went into the thing and he just said, delete star from student dot table. Exactly. Name like percent sign Goodman percent sign. Bam. Exactly. Boom. Yeah. 
Problem was... solved. Yeah, he found oh, that. Oh, wait, commit. Bing! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And backups, too. How do we get rid of the backups? Oh, wait. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> it, it's, 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 I, I guess, I guess you have to just take it for its time and go. Yeah. Yeah. And computers so, were still kind of new back then. And so we must take something else for a piece of its time. I, I was, I happened to be listening to an interview today and I know this just seems like it's popping up a lot lately and it's just coincidental, but I was listening to, uh, a podcast, uh, Big Finish, and they were talking about their new uh, series of adventures that are coming out for Adam Adamant, of all things, wow. which is, <laughs> I know, it's like, really? All right. Hmm. Uh, yeah, probably not going to be getting those, but I haven't gotten through the original series yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they were talking about the fact that it's still set in the 60s and uh, hmm. that they you know, have had to update the female character because the, the the part was very patronizing of women and it was very, you know, 60s thing. It's just, and they just, we you know, people just don't write stories that way anymore. Right. Uh, which I thought was, I thought was awfully, awfully um, generous towards the human race uh, when he said that. It's like, yeah. No, there are still people who write stories that are quite patronizing <laughs> to the women. Um, but but they just I get a lot what, of uh, news. Or, I, I get what they're yeah. what they were getting at is that times change, and that if you're setting down to write something for general, you typically would not do that. Although you might, if you were trying to recreate the 1960s, because yeah. you might be trying to. You know, it's one thing to have the character be patron uh, be. How do I phrase this? It's one thing to have the character uh, behave in such a fashion that reflects what people think in a patronizing way of women in that time. And it is another thing to reflect that the person is not that way, that they are an an ordinary, normal, competent human being, not uh, having a problem with their their gender and right right not and then having the people jerk. around them treat them in a patronizing way because that is the way civilization was in the 1960s that's a different thing right, right. so there's six one half dozen of the other right but um you know do you do you really think that you could get away with writing some of the dialogue that that griffin gave to Kenzie here and I'm not oh. even convinced I'm not even convinced you could get away with some of that dialogue in a porn film uh, yeah, it wasn't very inspired <sighs> bit about the pool table having other uses it's like oh okay huh wow that's well, uh, it's like I'm not very good on a pool table and the commander's like I bet <laughs> I bet you'd be great on a pool table so, but I didn't say it so uh, it's okay right, right? yeah right. but you thought it yeah <laughs> exactly and then you told us that you thought it. So that's the same as saying it without actually without saying it. And I mean, they did. I don't want to say they called him out because obviously they didn't call him out because he sits down to talk to, to uh, Kenzie. And the first thing he does is he takes hold of, of her hands in his oh, hands yeah. and starts rubbing them and saying, you know, this is important thing about communication is tactile feedback. And I'm just, I'm, you know, my feet have come up off the floor and i'm kind of halfway in a fetal ball in the chair listening to this going oh oh that that man is an hr nightmare (laughs) (laughs) get him reassigned or fired it's gonna cost us big yeah oh (laughs) and and in all that and of course like i say they, they sort of call him out because Spring says to him, so is that a problem with our communication? We don't have enough tactile feedback? And he says, it's not a problem with you. And uh, <laughs> just to at least, at least Spring sort of halfway made a half-assed attempt to tell him not to do it. But really, it wasn't. And then well, he sent yeah. Kenzie off to go ahead and endure it some more. Exactly. You know, keep him busy. 
Wink, wink. Oh, oh, that's that's an even worse HR nightmare. Well, yeah, maybe maybe this is a, another ploy to get her to resign. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, where, that's you know, one he's way. Like, well, you know, you, you're you, gonna, you ordered me to prostitute my myself side. with the uh, American commander. So uh, yeah. uh, I, instead of resigning, I think you need to be fired. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you got to take one for the team here. Go. It's like, jeez. Yeah, no, I don't think so. We, oh, that was not, that was not good. And <laughs> so they're in the commander's office, or, or uh, Spring is in the commander's office while Kenzie's keeping him busy. Then the commander goes off and leaves Kenzie alone. So Kenzie comes to warn the commander that, uh, that the, that the uh, warn Spring that the commander is on the loose. I can keep this straight. Trust me, I can. And yeah. then they yeah. hear somebody coming, so they switch off the lights, and now they're trapped floating in the dark in, was that an almost 69 position? Uh, kind of, I guess. It's, uh, yeah. They, I mean, they were sort of foot together. To, foot to head, yeah. Um, kind of, yeah. And and then they you know turn the lights on and then they escape and I cannot believe that Spring forgot Box. Yeah, that was odd. I maybe he was just really flustered from running into uh, Kenzie in, in Zero G in the dark. I don't know. And then and then I mean that's his superpower, right? I mean that's that's oh that, Box that's like Green oh, Lantern yeah. leaving his ring behind or something, you know. And, or Michael leaving his car in the garage when he goes on an adventure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I don't, I don't need the car for me. Kid, yeah, yeah, stay I'm, here. I'll. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big super, uh, you know, super spy. I can do this all by myself. I don't need a car talking to me. <laughs> okay, but I mean that's been that's been years of of comical laughter there on the Night Riders. And I can do this on my own. I'll you stay out here. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'll go in the house, Kit. Thirty five seconds later, Kit, get in here. I need you. Exactly. <laughs> because. Well, Box can't do that. No. So no. you cannot, you cannot get away with leaving him behind. And on top of that, and this is the one thing in all the, in all the stuff that we see, that Griffin is a thoroughly unpleasant human being at every level, yeah, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And yet he gave Box back. Once again, somebody with gold in their hands just... Returns it to the owner. I, who knows? Uh-huh. Yeah. Not saying that so he should have done off, something with it, but still. What, what mean, are you going to do? I mean, uh, if if Spring comes to you and says, hey, I think I left my uh, computer in your office. You go, oh, when was that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah. no. No. So make him come to you. You had something over him for a short period of time. Yep. Yep. And And you, and you didn't. So uh, the Ronald Reagan is a pay-to-play space yeah. station. A definite business venture. Seem reasonable? Um, Does it seem like a reasonable plan for a space station system? Well, yes, I suppose. If you're trying to make it, uh, you know, have it make money or at least look like it's not fully funded by the American government, Sure. You know, cover operations. We got all these guys making things in here. And, you know, oh, they just show up and say they were going to build something. Oh, fine. Whatever. They're going to work on a project. So we just, you know, rent them out some space. We didn't know they're doing that there. Granted, Do you uh, think that, Griffin that did it sound was a like, secret? Griffin did actually sound like he, he did not like the idea of uh, biological research going on on the station. <laughs> Which, yeah, he has a really good point there. Yeah, I, I, I really, again, walking out of this episode, I have no clue as to whether or not Griffin was lying. I know. He's such a slimy little bastard. You can't tell if he's actually telling the truth on something. Was it, was it a U.S.-funded project or was it an independently secretive covert project in the module? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Was it uh, you know a, a, something that Dr. Kavenko was, was funding? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and and Spring says outright to Griffin, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, when he says, well, the reason we didn't want anybody to know about it is because everyone would think it was the U.S. government doing it. And which he's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they would. He's absolutely right. And Spring's like, yeah, I don't believe that it wasn't the U.S. government either. Exactly. First, and, right there, you know, case in point. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing that Spring said, not Spring, Griffin said, 
you know, would make you think that he was an honorable, respectful, truthful oh, no. telling person. Grief, no. And yet, for some reason, I kind of think maybe it depends. You know, I, it really depends on who was manipulating this in the end. If it was the Russians, then I'm pretty sure it was a U.S. government project. If it was the press that had gotten wind of something weird, then I don't know. Maybe it was an accidental an accident and an unknown rogue guy working on his project. Well, from what we've seen with other things going on in, in, in Earth orbit, you know, having some guy doing rogue research up there is, you know, completely, you know, completely possible. <laughs> well, it, you know, I think they're trying to portray this as a sort of uh, the wild frontier. Yeah, yeah, it's a frontier. Uh, so, area. you know, people do go away to do things that they can't do back on. The difference is right. there's, there's, there's one thing where you say, like, I'm living in a densely populated city and I can't get away with this kind of stuff on the, on the East Coast, so I'll move to the west of America where there aren't any people and there's no law enforcement and I'm, you know, I'm golden and I can get away with doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, you know, like setting up a state so that we can have polygamy or something, you know, like that. Or, or uh, you know, having an island in your last name happens to be Moreau and you like to do experiments on animals. Exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. precisely. And, and you, you, that makes sense. But there's the one thing here is that <laughs> space does actually present the opportunity of the zero gravity research. Right. And so that makes it not just a destination to get away from everyone else, uh, you know, to do things without prying eyes. It makes it a destination where you, this is the only place that you can do right. it. Right. Actually, if you think about it, it's space, you know, low Earth orbit is actually a fairly tiny place because there's, you know, it's not like you can just open up the door and, and you know, hop on your space horse and go right out onto the planes and go, you know, set up whatever you want. You're in a, right. a big metal tube with life support there. Uh, people kind of know where you are. And you're not <laughs> actually all that far away. Exactly, exactly. There's usually like somebody right on the other side of the bulkhead. So it's, you know, secrets. Well, I, I was no, thinking no, no. in terms of, you know, if you go straight out, how high up would this be? You know, in terms of miles. Oh, for these space stations they're talking about? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, the ISS was around like 200 and some odd miles. So 200 and some odd miles. I mean, that's distance from here to Flagstaff. Oh, I know. It's pretty close. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty darn close. That'll have people who are not in Arizona looking around and saying, where's Phoenix Flagstaff? Exactly, what the heck is exactly. that? <laughs> well, they're a couple hundred miles apart. I think 180 yep. or something like that. But it is yeah, like, something like you that, know, yeah. Pick that on a map, pick it up, and then, you know, tilt it at 90 degrees from the Earth's surface, and there you are. <laughs> yeah. I would think that a lot of these stations and stuff are in, you know, in one of the Lagrange points. Just yeah, but you know, for really the one fuel. stable Lagrange point. Well, you know, if you're willing to burn a little fuel, there's other ones you can use. But yeah, and we do know they're capable of going because obviously the salvage ship was well out of Earth orbit. Oh yeah, yeah, and maybe and these are in, like, there's Mars. So yeah. maybe the uh, Ronald Reagan is on in a geostationary orbit right over Washington D.C. Yeah, it would make perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, keep it in uh, U.S. airspace. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps it's geostationary orbit right over Moscow. Uh, <laughs> well, they'd have words with those people, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just happened to be there. We put it up in geostationary orbit, and it just, just happened to be where you stuck. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're good with that. We're yeah. Fine. Um, yeah, for the truly pedantic, yes, of course, you can't be right over Washington, D.C. on geostationary orbit because you have to be on the equatorial plane of the Earth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Just go with me on that one, though. Okay, right over uh, Ecuador. Yeah, really yeah, fun. exactly. Straight down the uh, those uh, lines on the maps. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that I have anything else in the episode. Um, uh, you know, it, it it diverted me for for an hour, but it was it. Ultimately, I came out the other end going that was not. It was like a filler episode, but yet it apparently it introduced a future cast cast member. The uh, the doctor uh, Krivenko, I think he shows up in other episodes. Oh, okay, well, it's possible. I mean, he is ahead of. The... Well, and it did answer our question: What happened to the previous Moon coordinator after they found that he committed a potential murder? Yeah, exactly. Uh, would he still be on there? Nope, he's gone. Yeah, they so up they must have told somebody. Mm-hmm. 
not only did they must have, not only did he leave the base, clearly that information was not a secret. Yeah. Does that make sense? In other words, Spring couldn't make, couldn't prove his case. So did he make the formal accusation in public that we think he committed this crime? Um, or would he keep, because that could be slander if you can't. I'm, can that be slander? Libel? Can I'm that be? Sure. If the police say, we're pretty sure you committed this crime, but we can't prove it? I, mean, aren't you I don't know. Those there? laws are really weird, especially in the UK. I think they're... And in space. Well, yeah, with space, just space everything laws. goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you open the window, everything goes out the window. Yes, quickly. Just everything. Depending on how big the window is, yes. Yeah. And uh, as long as it's bigger than Auric Goldfinger, you are... <laughs> you're done. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, it, it just... I, I just don't feel like it was well put together episode. Oh, Interesting yeah, ideas... But yeah, another another storytelling failure, if you ask me. But I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and the Americans were just too, too. I mean, honestly, listeners, UK listeners, really, really, is that what you think of us? Well, maybe they <laughs> thought of us like that in the eighties when this was produced. I, I mean, I could understand why you might be sitting there in your country, looking across the pond at at warmongering jerks like yeah, yeah, ronald reagan yeah but then you're sitting there looking across the pond at ronald reagan going nah, 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 ronald reagan and you americans and you should be pointing your finger at maggie thatcher doing <laughs> the freaking same thing so I, I just i don't get it right i mean i yeah 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 fine let's fine. see uh random thing i did see it an interesting little bit of uh, uh high-tech gear that is a Apparently fairly rare um, that uh, phone that they were using on there uh, for the the communications terminal had like a little screen and a little television set at an angle on the upper right hand side. I actually saw a uh, a uh, a video podcast video show whatever you want to call this these days whatever the kids are calling them um, about those. It's an STC thirty nine ten Executel telephone system. Apparently for its time in 1984, it was very advanced. It are we talking like, about on the moon or are we talking about in her house? It was on the Reagan. Okay. Yeah. Because the woman was talking on something like that too, but... Uh, no, maybe she was using it too, but yeah, it, it was... That's actually a real phone. And apparently it had, you know, a, a, you know digital uh, note-taking on there and... Um, I don't think it had a word processor, but you could leave messages for people and digitize them or all sorts of stuff like that. It's actually pretty impressive. Really, really expensive. And uh, they sold like a couple hundred of them apparently and the company went bankrupt. <laughs> bankrupt, yeah. yeah. Well, they sold them to this movie studio or to the BBC for this particular thing. Yeah, I, they probably I, gonna... got one on a, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff that was being uh, auctioned or something like that. There's one other thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on. <laughs> I'm going to pick on their picking on of Americans. Oh, okay. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. So you call the Ronald Reagan and they play. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the. Um, also Sprock Zarathustra. Was that what it was or was it, uh, was it um, uh, Strauss? No, I think it was. Uh, I know it's music from 2001, but, you know, they use Strauss and. and and a number of other things. And I I was like listening to it going, wow, I'm just getting this 2001 vibe. And it was so basically long. they're showing you a, a long ringtone yeah. with pictures apparently before then they go to Ronald Reagan Space Station. And, yeah, and, and they're Avatar And then to Google's to uh, AI assistant. <laughs> yeah. I can't think day. of Google's one. Um, what is the name of Google's assistant? I don't. Oh, um, it's just hey Google. Oops, sorry everybody. Didn't mean to say that. <laughs> At least he didn't say hey Siri. <laughs> no, or Alexa. Oh, just turned blue. Yo, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I've been caught out by that. I've been caught out by that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I, oops. I most definitely have. I was listening to a podcast once where 
I was in my car. I was driving along. Oh, no. And, and I, it's no joke. I was driving along. I was listening to it on my phone through the car stereo system. And somebody <laughs> on the podcast says, hey, Siri, turn all the lights chartreuse. <laughs> and when I got home, <laughs> I walked no in my house. And I'm not kidding. When I walked in my house, the lights were all green. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, heck is going because i did not put chartreuse and green together in my head mm. and uh yeah wow but uh, and i i was searching the house i was i was like going room to room <laughs> like, <laughs> with a cricket bat in hand <laughs> I was like, of course what's going on here wow. <laughs> somebody's been screwing around with my house <laughs> uh <laughs> and then it hit me and i'm like wait a minute my phone did go blurpity blur because what happens when you use the 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 keyword when you're in mm-hmm. the phone is it screws Boom. up the Bluetooth yeah. in the you know everything stops and things mm-hmm. and it did do that and it rebooted my car phone system it was terrible wow I, I, oh it's terrible I, if anybody's driving around in a Prius when they heard me do that I apologize for your entertainment system going out <laughs> send your letters to Fusion Control Box Twenty Nine. <laughs> Atlantic, uh, Antarctic Research Base 1. <laughs> yes, exactly. McMurdo Sound. Exactly. Yes. Yep. It'll, it'll get to uh, us. Yeah. It'll, it'll get to us eventually. I'm sure. In fact, there's probably people <laughs> at Antarctic Base listening to us right now. I, and, I hope. Um, I, I do hope. I do hope. <laughs> I, I'd like to, like to find out that one day, you know, somebody actually says that they listen to this podcast while in orbit on the ISS. That would be cool. That would yeah. be cool. So, um, also that one, please. Anyone up there? Out there, sorry, out there. I know how you're sensitive about that. It's not up there. Exactly. There. <laughs> All right. Next time, episode five of Star Cops is this case to be opened in a million years. Which sounds like the one where they uh, launch the people into the extended orbit. Yeah, it sounds Even, like it. It sounds like a better. Hmm. Better title. I'm not going to look and see what it's about. Anyway, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.